0: Kind of a, uh, an exciting, bittersweet moment because we've spent the last few months, uh, I would say working through Hebrews, but at the pace we've been going, it's more like running through Hebrews. But a lot of Hebrews is dealing with these uh, somewhat heady doctrinal theological issues. And here in the final chapter of Hebrews, the author uh, gets into a bit more of everyday Practical application and even encouraging uh, the church to uh, respect the authority that God has put over them. But as I was reading over this and and thinking about uh, the application of respecting authority, it actually reminded me of my very first job uh, that I started working. It was my senior year of high school through my freshman year of college. And I was working at Family Christian Store in Northwoods Mall. I was one of those people selling Jesus junk and WWJD bracelets and testaments, which are little breath mints that have crosses on them. Um, I was one of those guys, but it was it was a wonderful first job. I had some great people uh, that I, I worked with. I, I, I still keep in touch with a few of them, but it was it was definitely a learning experience for me, not just in the field of work, but respecting the authority that the Lord has put over me. Uh, When I first started, uh, I was just doing just average work, restocking shelves, things like that. But after working there for a few months, I actually… was placed over the music wall, so placing signage and and highlighting different artists and things like that and for those of you that know me, that was a huge deal to me. I am a lover of music, uh, and so to to have the opportunity to share that with others in my field of work was was a lot of uh, a lot of fun and for a long time uh, the the store policy was you could over the store speakers, you could play anything from the shelf. Uh, if, if it was open or not, if it was a demo or not, if it, if it was sealed, you could open it. And it was a great way to, to hear new artists and even to let people experience new music as they're coming into the store. But at one point, the company policy changed. And every month, they would send out these little sampler CDs that had a variety of artists and this weird... Uh, it was... It was kind of like a monologue, but it was for commercials for different things in the store. But in my mind, I was like, I know better than the company policy. And so I ignored the company policy, and I continued to play whatever I wanted to off of the shelf and uh, was reprimanded for that. And yet, even after being reprimanded, I was like, well, as long as I don't get caught doing it. And so I, I would continue to do it. Until the evening when my manager walked in, even though she was off, and literally caught me red-handed. And and so at that point, I, would, I had been officially written up, uh, and just the, the strain and the tension in my own young rebellious heart to buck against authority, uh, because of my own attitude, I kept getting scheduled for fewer and fewer hours until it got to the point where… I was forced to leave, uh, which I had brought upon myself, and I had to leave this great job because my heart was not willing to submit to the authority that was over me. If I was willing to agree with it or not, I was not willing to submit. And we see in chapter 13 of Hebrews that the author is calling the congregation to live in submission to one another and to authority. And ultimately, in living in submission to both one another and to authority, they're living in submission to the Lord. In fact, let me suggest to you that Hebrews 13 tells us that following Christ demands that believers live a life of submission. I'm going to say that one more time just to let it sink in, but following Christ demands that believers live a life of submission. Now, not in the sense that there is a loss of identity, uh, that you uh, no longer have a voice, but submission in the sense that there is a willingness to yield to others. Uh, a willingness, uh, as Scripture calls us to, die to self. There's a love of others in laying down your rights for someone else's sake. That is the submission that Scripture calls believers to. And chapter 13 reveals this submission in three specific areas. First, in verses 1 through 6, a heart of contentment, having a heart of contentment in verses 1 through 6. Secondly, in verses 7 through 19, having a heart of consideration… So a heart of contentment, a heart of consideration in verses 7 through 19. And lastly, in verses 20 through 25, a heart of confidence. So in living a life of submission, Scripture calls us to have a heart of contentment, a heart of consideration, and a heart of confidence. And before I go any further, let us pray. Beautiful, gracious, holy, heavenly Father, God, we come before You this morning asking that Your Word would radically change our hearts, that You would be the one to spur us to action, that we would recognize that we cannot earn Your love or Your favor, but God, that Your Word would call us to submit to the authority of Christ, and that submission would lead us to holy obedience. Be with us in this time now and pour out your Spirit in this place and speak in spite of myself, speak through me to communicate your life-changing gospel truth. And we pray all of this in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. For one final time, let me give you a quick recap of what we have been doing in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written by an anonymous author. Uh, uh, For generations, people have tried to figure it out. We don't know who it is, but that's okay because what the author… who the author is does not matter, but what the author is communicating… Is God's truth as He is writing to Hebrew Christians. These are Jewish converts to the Christian faith, hence the letter to the Hebrews. And the overall theme of the the letter to the Hebrews is that God did wonderful things in the past, but now it has gotten even better. Through the, the gift of the Son, through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the message of God has become greater. As Donald Guthrie, a pastor and theologian, has written, that the past has given way to better things. The past was good, and the Son is better. And over the months, we've looked at how Christ is greater than angels and prophets and priests and Moses and Melchizedek, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant Last week, we looked at chapter 12, which unpacked the faith that was described in chapter 11, the, the Old Testament heroes of faith, and how that faith was met and fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and that that faith demands a response. And so chapter 13 continues on that theme of living in response, and it shows that, that response leads the Christian submission. And as I said, he's continuing to unpack the theme of faith in Jesus Christ as he is unpacking his first point, a heart of contentment. And this this theme of faith in Christ leads to life action… That it's not just a head knowledge, it's not just memorizing verses just for the sake of knowing them, but it's the the knowledge that leads to life changing action. Picking up in or starting in verse one, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. And when we read those verses and initially think: well, how, how is loving others, how is that contentment? How is, how is compassion contentment? But we often view things, or we often not things, but we often view contentment as, as something that is passively. Done that. In order to be content, it's almost a fatalistic. Well, this is what I have. I might as well just be happy with it. Uh, but contentment, contentment is not passive. It's not a a giving up. But it is an active pursuit. It is a choice to be content with what God has given. Contentment does not come naturally, but it has to be actively pursued. And so when we look at brotherly love, to love others around you, especially brothers and sisters in Christ that you disagree with, loving those people does not come naturally. In fact, the condition of the human heart, the pride of self wants to elevate self. I'm better than them because, well, what I believe is better than that way, what they believe. Not necessarily about faith, but in just views, out, outlook on life, worldviews, political issues, whatever the difference may be, the pride of the heart wants to say that we are better than those that are different from us. And yet, contentment says that the Lord has put these people in my life, that I am a sinner saved by grace, just as they are. And so, contentment is an active pursuit of celebrating these people that the Lord has put in your life and loving them regardless of differences. Having a hospitality to strangers, our natural tendency is to hoard Resources uh, that you cannot trust strangers, and and I see this specifically in in our own children. That uh, we have for those of you that don't know us as well, we have four kids, ages eight, six, four, and one. And there are some days where they are the best of friends, and some days where they are the worst of enemies. But in even in that family relationship. There is a strong resilience to sharing. That is mine, which leads to shoving and fighting and kicking and screaming and crying. Because sharing and hospitality does not come natural to the human heart, and yet contentment in the Lord says, everything that I have comes from God already, so who am I to withhold blessing someone else. When the author reminds the church to remember those in prison, he's not just talking about people that have been arrested for wrongdoing. He's speaking specifically to Christians who have been persecuted and are suffering for their faith. Again, this is a reminder that everything that we have is given to us from the Lord Himself. And so, for those who are our brothers and sisters in faith, for those who are suffering, for those who are persecuted, we are called to not just rejoice with those who rejoice, but to weep with those who weep, to suffer with those who are suffering. And even though I am free, I am called to grieve with them and possibly even to suffer with them, not just for the sake of the gospel itself, but for the encouraging and building up of the body of Christ. Active pursuit of contentment is a willingness to lay down my freedoms for someone else's sake. We often think of contentment as just a blanket acceptance of what we have. And yet it is actively choosing obedience in both joy and sorrow, not just in blessings, not just in peaceful, calm waters, but in chaos and turmoil. And that is the contentment that Paul describes in Philippians chapter 4 when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's not talking about winning the… or scoring the winning touchdown in a football game, or uh, being able to do that task that you thought was, was just so uh, uncomfortable. But Paul, what Paul is saying that in blessing and in persecution, I am willing to do everything through Christ who strengthens me, and I find contentment in Him alone. That is contentment. It's not the abundance and enjoyment of our position or our possessions. But contentment is found in the person of Jesus Christ. The author… the author continues uh, this theme of contentment with more personal signs of contentment, picking up in verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? At this point, the the topic of contentment speaks specifically to uh, the marriage relationship itself, to the, the matter of faithfulness. And then this contentment is, is much easier to recognize, in fact, that it, it's the, the contentment of the relationship that you have been given, that you are not seeking fulfillment or pleasure or joy in any relationship outside the one that you have been covenanted to. The covenant relationship between a man and a wife, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, that both parties would find their contentment in that relationship and not outside relationships. In fact, the Lord gives a warning that He will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. That it's not just you should pursue contentment, but pursue contentment or there will be judgment. And the reminder that purity and faithfulness point the heart back to God. And then he he encourages the the people, the, the church, the congregation to free themselves from the love of money, not money itself. He's not saying you have to get rid of everything if you want to pursue God. He's saying be free from the love of money. This is echoed in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Money itself is not the evil. It is not the issue. It is the heart devotion to this physical thing, to finding completion or contentment in anything other than God. And the author says, free yourself from that. In fact, Jesus Himself in Matthew 6 says, no one can serve two masters. You're either going to hate one and love the other, or love one and hate the other. You you can't serve both God and money. And that's coming from the mouth of Christ Himself. But this isn't given as just an empty challenge. It's not just a, a, an empty promise. But the fulfillment of contentment is tied to the relationship with God Himself. He says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for He has said, and He's quoting Joshua 1.5 here, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You don't need physical fulfillment and money or wealth or the accumulation of stuff, because you have been promised the presence of the Lord, the eternal covenant God of creation and redemption has promised His presence, and that is far greater than any wealth or anything that wealth can offer. And then the author says that contentment leads the Christian to say, and in verse 6 he's quoting Psalm 118, that the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Again, contentment. Having a heart of contentment says, I will fear nothing in this world because the presence of the Lord has been promised to me. I don't need to find my fulfillment in stuff or relationships or status. I have contentment because the Lord has promised to be with me. And so I have to ask, Christian, does contentment characterize your own heart? Not in a fatalistic position of of where your status in life and just saying, well, it is what it is. You know, this is just the way life is, and I just need to accept it. But does contentment describe your heart in the fact of saying, because the Lord is with me, I can endure anything. That contentment is not a giving up, but it is an active pursuit of obedience. Christian, is your heart obedient in contentment? Are you willing to lay down your right to be right? Are you willing to put away pride for the sake of love? Are you willing to recognize that everything that you have comes from the Lord already and to share with those that are less fortunate and those who are suffering if you know their circumstances or not? Are you content with what you have been given, not just your stuff, but your very relationships? Are you striving for faithful obedience and contentment? Everything that you have comes from the Lord, so you can trust Him as He provides for you. And as we see the author moving from a heart of contentment, he begins to unpack a heart of consideration. Picking up in verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Not to focus on your, uh, your community leaders, not your, your political government leaders. Focus on your spiritual leaders and imitate their faith. Not their habits, not their life, not the, their, their mannerisms or the way that they speak. Imitate their faith. Again, parents, you've probably recognized that your children often imitate the things that you do. They pick up on the habits that you have and they imitate you, your reactions, your phrases. Our own kids are developing a love for for board games and Marvel movies and Star Wars because those are the things that we love. And so our children pick up on those things, and as they imitate mom and dad, that they develop those habits as well. But more than anything, our hope, our prayer, is that they would imitate our faith, not just the things that we enjoy doing, but that they would imitate our heart and our resting and trusting in the one who provides for us. That is our ultimate hope for them at least. Even Paul himself urged believers to imitate himself as he imitates Christ. In 1 Corinthians 4, verses 15 through 16, Paul writes, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Again, as a child imitates a parent, Paul is saying, I have become your spiritual father as I gave you the gospel, so then imitate me. Again, in 1 Corinthians, this time in chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul is saying, don't just copy the things that I do. Don't just imitate my personality, but imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's not telling them that they need to be like Him in order to be a Christian. He's saying, be like me as I am in pursuit of the Savior. Moving on in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. This is a reminder for the Christian to be focused on Christ, to stay fixated on Christ. Because the things of this world change and pass and fade away, but Christ does not, because He is the same yesterday and today and forever. So do not place your hope in the, in the physical things that you can provide for yourself, but place your hope in the grace of Christ Himself. He begins to go into comparing the sacrificial system. Of, uh, from, Jesus, or from Israel's time in the wilderness to Jesus Himself. And the fact that His blood gives you something greater than Israel ever had. Because they had to continue in this sacrificial system to cover their sins. But by the blood of Christ, our sins are made clean. Our sins are taken away and we are made holy and righteous. And so our hope As Christians, our hope is not in a tabernacle. Our hope is not in a temple. Our hope is not in Israel or Jerusalem. Our hope is not even in a Christian sense of America. It's not in being a Republican or a Democrat. Our hope is not in any man-made system. Our hope is in Christ alone. In verse 14, the author says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. The blood of Christ makes you a citizen of the eternal kingdom of heaven that is to come. That we are sojourners in this world. We are temporary travelers on this physical earth. But our true status and citizenship is in a city to come. Our culture today, I fear that far too many Christians have become so fixated and focused on making uh, America a Christian nation that I fear many believers have forgotten that this world is not our home. We're called to take care of it, and and be good stewards of what the Lord has given to us, that we're called to, to help develop and 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 rule over this land, but this land is not our home because our true home, our true citizenship, is in the holy city of God that will come when Jesus Christ comes again. We have a greater home that is coming. And more than making America a Christian nation that we're called to share the good news of an eternal city, that we are citizens of a godly home. Let's call people to that. And in verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. It's just the daily practical application. Do good. Love people. Share what you have. Not to earn God's favor, but because He loved you first, because He called you His child and made you a citizen of His kingdom, be willing to share what you have. And that is pleasing to God. And then he reminds the congregation, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you to not fight against the authority that that the Lord has placed over you. As I learned early on in my employment history, that fighting against authority just makes life more difficult for you. But for those that God has called over you to be spiritual authority, that they will have to give an account for how they have spiritually led others… Submit your heart to them. Honor them. Respect them. Our elders and deacons have been called to care for you. As they lead, as they they guide the church, as they shepherd God's people, as they are imitating Christ, honor them. Submit to them not because of a title or of a status, but because the Lord has placed them over you in order to care for you, that they have these offices out of a gospel love and concern for your very souls. And so consider the leaders that God has placed over you. Pray for them. Listen to them. Don't fight against them. And as they follow Christ, church, Follow them. And so, Christian, do you stop to consider the authority that the Lord has placed over you? Is your heart characterized as a heart of defiance, trying to push your own agenda? Or is it a heart of submission, not just to the church, not just to your elders, but ultimately to God Himself? Finally, after looking at a heart of contentment and a, look at, and a heart of consideration, the author reminds the church to have a heart of confidence. The author closes the letter as a whole with the benediction and the customary letter greetings. It's different from our own culture. We're used to greeting everybody if, if you still use the archaic art of writing people letters. We, we, we put all of our greetings at the front. In their culture, all of the greetings were at the end. And so that's how the letter closes. But notice the confidence and the benediction that he gives to the church. Now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. When a benediction is given at the end of a a church service, not just this benediction here, but a benediction at the end of a church service, whether it was from, from Pastor Phil, whether it's from me, or whether it comes from Jeremy, when a benediction is given to the church, it is not just a pithy, have a great week, but is a reminder of the hope and the confidence that is found in God and Jesus Christ alone. That your confidence does not come from your own ability to be a better person. That your confidence is not in trying to live your best life now, but in the very power of God. And that is how the author ends his letter. that the, the God of peace who instituted the eternal covenant with His people not because Abraham did anything to earn that covenant, but because it pleased God to begin it. This covenant where he, God chose a people to be His own people because it pleased Him to do so. This covenant that even though throughout history that God's people were unfaithful, that they would turn to other gods, that this God remained faithful to His own people, to the very point of sending His own Son to meet and fulfill all of the requirements of the covenant. That Jesus Christ kept, perfectly kept the covenant, and He came and dwelt among an ungrateful and unfaithful creation in order to redeem that sinful people. And He took that sin upon Himself and had it nailed with Him to a bloody cross to give you His righteous status to make you not just a citizen of an eternal city, but to make you a child of God. This covenant-creating, covenant-keeping God. He is the one who brought Christ back from the dead. So Christian, that is where your confidence lies. Not that you can be good enough or that you can do good enough, but that God has already done it in you and for you through Jesus Christ. That He will equip you. He is at work in you. And as Christ told His disciples when He gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, I am with you to the end of the age. Your confidence is in the very presence of the eternal God at work in you through Jesus Christ. And so when you feel overwhelmed and burdened, when you are struggling with depression or under the attack of anxiety, when you have lost your job, when you are having relationship struggles, when you feel alone and abandoned, remember that the eternal covenant God who redeemed you by the very blood of Christ, that He is with you. He calls you by name and says, you are my precious child. And so as we wrap up, not just chapter 13, but Hebrews as a whole, Christian, I challenge you. How do you respond when Scripture calls you to submission? Does your heart fight against it? Lacking contentment and not just self, but li- or not just stuff but life itself? Do you stop to consider the leaders and authority figures that the Lord has placed over you? Or do you resist their authority? Does your confidence depend on your own ability to perform? And in that, never finding peace or rest. Or Christian, will you pursue active contentment, not just with your stuff, but with your very heart? Will you consider the faithful leaders that God has placed over you in your life and imitate them as they imitate Christ? And will your heart find confidence in God? The God who didn't just write the covenant, but fulfilled it by the blood of His own Son, Jesus Christ. Christian, will you submit your heart to Him today? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, glorious God who loves us and redeems us, we confess that far too often we are not content, that our hearts are restless and we seek fulfillment in so many things that do not give life. God, we confess that we have been distracted and unfaithful, and yet, God, You are the faithful one. And in Your faithfulness, you sent your Son to redeem us by His blood. God, we pray for the strength and the courage to actively pursue obedience and submit to Him. God, we pray that you would give us a heart of contentment and consideration and confidence, not in our own ability, but fully trusting and resting that Jesus Christ has already paid it all. It's in in His holy name we pray. Amen.